Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for Welcome back to Set for Life. Today we're in 2 Samuel 14. I'm going to call today's message, Spell It Out. You ever had to have somebody spell something out for you? I'm a ham radio operator and I operate all over the world and I know how to do Morse code. The first time I ever did a Morse code contact and I was sweating bullets and I sent something to him about what's his location. And in Morse code, you don't ask what is your location. That's a lot of letters to spell out. It takes longer. So you say QTH and what is your QTH? And he sent something back, and I, I'm trying to copy his his letters down, and and he said something about said something about Morse, and I thought, man, my Morse code must be absolutely terrible. So I asked him again, and I asked him to slow down. I said QRS, slow down, please. And and I asked him again, what is your QTH? What is your location? And he sent back something again, and I, I had some scattered letters because I was a little nervous, and I was trying to keep up with him, and. Something again about Morse, and I'm thinking, man, he must think my Morse is absolutely terrible. Like, maybe he's telling me my Morse is bad? And the more times he told me about my about Morse, the more I got nervous thinking, I can't, I can't even do this. So I, I'm still committed in the conversation, so I had to ask him, what is your QTH? What's your location? And then I said, I'm sorry, I'm new. <laughs> and he wrote back, he sent back in Morse code, the name of the town I live in is called Morse Bluff, Nebraska. <laughs> and so he had to spell it out for me because I wasn't getting it. I'm like, oh, shoot. You know, it wasn't about my Morse code. It was it was the name of the town he lived in, Morse Bluff. And I, I, I'll never forget that. That's quite a time for your very first QSO, your very first conversation on ham radio is it was over that so it kind of freaked me out a little bit but i I recovered we finished the conversation out and it went well so but sometimes you have to have things spelled out for you because you're not getting it and and that's what this guy did for me he spelled it out the town i live in he had to spell it out because i wasn't getting it i was missing something well today's message is spell it out and it's going to be uh where david has somebody's going to come to him to spell it out for him Absalom ran away to stay with his grandfather, and he'd been gone for about three years, and David has had no contact with him. It's an awkward, I'm not talking to you kind of moment here. So we need to see what happens from here on out when somebody has to go spell it out for David. In 2 Samuel 14 and verse 1, Absalom returns to Jerusalem. So Joab, the son of Zerah, and I'm Texan, okay? I'm a redneck, so y'all forgive me on these these names. Uh, I know my Hebrew friends, you're going to say, oh, you didn't say that right. I know I don't say it right. I'm admitting it, okay? But let's move. <laughs> I, got a, I got a Texan tongue, y'all. So Joab, the son of Zerah, Zeruiah, Zeruiah, okay? 
this guy, so Joab, the son of somebody, he perceived that the king's heart was concerned about Absalom. And Joab sent to Tekoa and brought from there a wise woman and said to her, please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning apparel. Do not anoint yourself with oil, but act like a woman who has been mourning a long time for the dead. Go to the king and speak to him in this manner. So Joab put the words in her mouth. Nobody knew how to facilitate Absalom's return to David. They're kind of scared of David. He's the king. David's kind of messed up right now. It was one of them real awkward things that nobody wants to get involved with because there was no real easy way to go about it, uh, how to facilitate Absalom's return. And now Joab, he had a, a, a military mind. He he had a, a tactics and strategy mind, and so he devised some kind of a way to get some sort of an encrypted message to hint at David about Absalom bringing him back. So he gets this woman from Tekoa to go and speak to him, and he told her what to say. Second Samuel 14 and 4. And when the woman of Tekoa spoke to the king, she fell on her face to the ground and prostrated herself and said, Help, O king. Then the king said to her, what troubles you? And she answered, Indeed, I am a widow. My husband is dead. Now your maidservant had two sons, and the two fought with each other in the field, and there was no one to part them. But the one struck the other and killed him. And now the whole family has risen up against your maidservant. And they said, Deliver him who struck his brother, that we may execute him for the life of his brother whom he killed, and we will destroy the heir also. So they would extinguish my ember that is left and leave to my husband neither name nor remnant on the earth. As a widow, if her last son were to die, that would mean her support would be cut off. Her family name would be cut off. It was going to be extremely hard for her to make it in that culture. She needed her son to keep her going. Well, her supposed son anyway. But the strategy here was to get some kind of a, I hate to call it a sob story, but it kind of is, to try to prompt David to motivate him to doing some sort of an action that he would have to listen to this woman and say, okay, I'll do something. And they're kind of drawing him in here. Second Samuel 14 and 8. Then the king said to the woman, go to your house and I will give orders concerning you. And the woman of Tekoa said to the king, my lord, O king, let the iniquity be on me and on my father's house, and the king and his throne be guiltless. So the king said, Whoever says anything to you, bring him to me, and he shall not touch you any more. Then she said, Please let the king remember the Lord your God, and do not permit the avenger of blood to destroy any more, lest they destroy my son. And he said, As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. Okay, so David said he'd take action to resolve her problem, and he told her to go home. Go home. I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll take care of it, okay? But instead of walking away, she felt she had to kind of push the issue a little further, like maybe he's not quite getting it, and she wanted to go a little more. So she said that if anything went wrong with the handling of the justice in this, then she wanted David to know that he would not be held responsible for anything that mishappened out of all this. Let the iniquity be on me, she said. So David assured her again. He wanted to assure her beyond that. See, she's pushing him. Now David's trying to reassure back. So they're kind of pushing each other here. He said, if anybody gives you any trouble, you bring them to me and I'll deal with it, okay? 
I'll take care of them. But in verse 11, even after he assured her of that, she said, she persisted even more. She said, don't let the avenger kill my son. I mean, she's really amping it up here. And David probably thought, okay, this woman is just not hearing me. She's not listening. So he gave her this big drawn out oath. As the Lord lives, not one hair of your son shall fall to the ground. He might be thinking, okay, is she getting it yet? Is she understanding what I'm trying to tell her yet? But remember, this woman from Tekoa is trying to convey a message about Absalom to David. And so I bet she's wondering the same thing about David. Is he getting it yet? Is he understanding what I'm trying to tell him yet? <laughs> you see both sides here now. David's pushing, I'll do it. I'll deal with it. She's like, I'm not sure he sees the Absalom parallel about bringing him home that I'm trying to make. So the woman from Tekoa, she amps it up again, yet again. Second Samuel fourteen twelve. Therefore, the woman said, please let your maidservant speak another word to my lord, the king. And he said, say on, I can hear him say on <laughs> verse 13. So the woman said, why then have you schemed such a thing against the people of God? For the king speaks this thing as one who is guilty and that the king does not bring his banished one home again. For we will surely die and become like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be gathered up again. Yet God does not take away a life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Okay, this is where the woman from Tekoa is really trying to spell it out for David. She was saying that if he was willing to grant full pardon for whoever this mystery killer was, this son of hers that David doesn't even know, then she was trying to spell it out and hint that David should also grant a full pardon to his own son Absalom as well, because he's off in banishment. He's run away. She said, look what she said. She said, why does the king not bring back his banished one again? She kind of said Absalom without saying, quote, Absalom. She's trying to hint to him. The point is you would work against your own people, the people of God. Hint, hint, Absalom. He's an Israelite. You'd do all this work to help somebody that you don't even know. You, you would work for my son. You've never seen him. You don't know who he is. What about your own guys that need a pardon? You know, without directly saying it, she's trying to spell it out that Absalom should be brought back home again. You notice how she said he ought to come back without directly mentioning Absalom because they're kind of scared of what David's going to do, right? These are the words that Joab told her to say because he knew that David was concerned about Absalom. So if Joab could get David to forgive this killer, then perhaps David might start thinking to himself, well, if I would do that for him, maybe I should forgive my son Absalom too. You see, you see the strategy now. Joab was trying to motivate David to grant mercy to Absalom and bring him back. Now, we can see this in how the woman from Tekoa made David take a good look at what mercy is. She said, God devises means. In other words, he provides a way to bring back anybody that has ever been banished from his sight 
so that they could not have to remain expelled away from him. God wants to establish relationship that's been broken. David and Absalom's relationship has been broken at this point. They're not talking to each other for several years. And she's trying to say, look, God wants to bring people back out from being expelled. So it's kind of like, hello, David, uh, are you understanding that maybe since God does this for you, you should do this for, you know, your son over here? The point is, if God would forgive us, then we should forgive others. If he would restore us, we should restore others. And so she tried to say it without directly saying it, that Absalom should be offered some kind of a way, devise a means, David, come up with something that would give Absalom a way to return back home again. 2 Samuel 14 and 15. Now, therefore, I have come to speak this thing to my lord, the king, because the people have made me afraid. And your maidservant said, I will now speak to the king. It may be that the king will perform the request of his maidservant, for the king will hear and deliver his maidservant from the hand of the man who would destroy me and my son together from the inheritance of God. Your maidservant said, the word of my lord the king will now be comforting, for as the angel of God, so is my lord the king in discerning good and evil, and may the lord your God be with you. Then the king answered and said to the woman, please do not hide from me anything that I ask you. And the woman said, Please let my lord the king speak. So the king said, Is the hand of Joab with you in all this? (laughs) And the woman answered and said, As you live, my lord the king, no one can turn to the right hand or to the left from anything that my lord the king has spoken. For your servant Joab commanded me, and he put all these words in the mouth of your maidservant, to bring about this change of affairs. Your servant Joab has done this thing. But my Lord is wise, according to the wisdom of the angel of the Lord, to know everything that is in the earth. I think she realized she ran a bit long. I think she realized she protested a little too much, a little too heavy. Long enough, though, for David to pick up on the strategy. He kind of, he, he could sense the Joab-like earmarks here in the story. He felt Joab in this somehow. It's like, I know Joab. This sounds like somebody I know. Is Joab with you in this? <laughs> so before David fully caught on to her, though, She tried to pull her story back just a bit, back into the parable. It was looking a little too personal, a little too close to sounding like Absalom. So I think she felt maybe she got too close to what she, the the literal point she was trying to make. And so she backed it off into the parable again, because all of a sudden she says, oh, I'm so afraid everybody, they're they're, going to get my son and they're going to kill me. I think she laid it on a little too thick. When she fluffed David up, oh, you the king, you're so good at telling good from evil. I mean, you're just like the angel of the Lord. It's like, let me fluff him up a little bit. I'm sure she was nervous. I mean, you're standing before the king. I'm sure she kind of went a little overboard a little bit, but David caught on. She said, but whatever you say, that's good enough for me. God be with you. And David already assured her several times, I'll deal with it. Anybody messes with you, I'll I'll take care of it. And now she's saying, whatever you say, I'm good with it. Well, uh, okay, as a man, I'm thinking, look, I already told you I deal with it. Go home, he told her. You need to go home now. Oh, yeah, but oh, my king. And then, okay, I'll deal with that too. Oh, yeah, but oh, my king. Okay, wait a minute. Now she's saying, whatever you say, I'm good with it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think she went a a little heavy. Uh, But now all of a sudden, David's like, no, 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 no. Wait a minute. Hold on here. Reset. Does a guy named Joab have anything to do with this? And oh, and now it's out. Now he knows. And so she had to cough it up. Yeah, Joab, he 
He put me up to this. But the reason he put me up to this is to try to cause a change in these affairs that are going on. David probably just leaned back in his chair and he sighed and thought, oh, first Nathan caught me off guard. Now this woman got me. You know, it's like he's he just realized he got sideswiped for the second time with another parable. And the parable was designed to make David look at himself. This isn't about some guy out there. It's about him. It's about David. You remember recently Nathan, the prophet, he did the same thing. He sideswiped David with a parable. There was once this guy that stole and he killed and David erupted. Oh, the man should die and he should he should pay back. And Nathan goes, yeah, you're the guy. You're the guy that did it. That You're the one I'm talking about. It forced David to look at himself from outside of the box. And he had to look back at who he had become way off target in sin. Now, it has taken people with an outside perspective to make the extra effort to come to him to help David see the error of his ways. You ever had to do that for somebody? You ever ever had that done to you? Or somebody had to come to you and say, look, brother, man, I I love you, but I need to warn you about something that that I think is going to hurt you, that you, you, you need to come back. It's not easy to hear those kind of words, but twice people have had to do this now. And so, although David did recognize Joab's craftiness in this story, it's obviously he did also recognize Joab's effort. He was just trying to help him get past this long, awkward silence that was between him and his own son, Absalom. He realized, okay, I got hit again. Oh, my goodness. But I do see that he's trying to help. Second Samuel 14, 21. And the king said to Joab, all right. I have granted this thing, therefore, bring back the young man Absalom. So just like how David had told Nathan, this man should die, he probably felt like, okay, I told the woman from Tekoa I'd do something about it. So he probably felt like he was obligated to do it. He's, he, I, I said it, now I got to do it. I have to. And so he says, go on and let's do it, even though he realized he'd been tricked into it. So 2 Samuel 14, 22. Then Joab fell to the ground on his face and bowed himself and thanked the king. And Joab said, Today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight, my lord, O king, and that the king has fulfilled the request of his servant. So Joab arose and went to Geshur and brought Absalom to Jerusalem. And the king said, Let him return to his own house, but do not let him see my face. So Absalom returned to his own house, but did not see the king's face. Several things going on here. First, Joab. I think the reason he fell to the ground was not just because it was proper royal protocol to do that, but I think Joab was like, it worked. (laughs) He's not going to kill me for this. Oh, man, so much was riding on this. I was really, oh, I was really hoping this was going to work out right. And apparently it did. So he fell as, oh, man, uh, thank you. I, I realized I found favor. But even though David agreed to have Absalom brought back, he didn't want to see him. Uh, He didn't want to see him at all. Why? Well, maybe after, okay, you got me. Let's do it. I said I'd do it, so let's go for it. Maybe by the time they brought Absalom back, David thought, you know what? That sure was low down what they did to me. I'm getting sick and tired of this. Maybe he got mad and said, you know what? Okay, he's back. There, I said I'd do it. I said I'd bring him back, but he ain't going to see me right now. Maybe he was upset. Maybe he was feeling guilt over the, the stuff he'd done and the consequences. He's having a hard time. Come on, guys, you can relate with him. He's been there. I know this isn't the 
you're looking at David's thinking, you're thinking, this isn't the way you should handle it. Well, have you ever been in a situation where you had a hard time handling it too? Maybe David felt like as king, the whole nation of Israel watching him, maybe he thought too quick of a reconciliation, maybe trying to patch it up too fast. I, I, I know it's been several years since I get it, but maybe he thought there were some people that thought if he patched it too quick, that maybe they would perceive that David was not taking his crime very seriously. So he's got his people on the left side of the fence might get get angry, and the people on the right side of the fence may have thought, well, we would love that. But he's trying to figure out, maybe he's trying to figure out a way to appease everybody in the matter. It's like political parties. You got people over here and over there, no matter what you do, you're, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't, you know. So he's trying to figure out that, what should I do? But I do think David's being cautious. And, and all the fault we can put on him in this point, I think he has actually come to realize he needs to be careful because in the past, whenever he had a knee-jerk reaction and just popped off, oh, that guy should die. Oh, that guy should pay for it. It always got him in trouble because he got uh, kind of trapped in a parable by Nathan and now this now Joab, and he doesn't want to react too fast. He, he's It's like the last time I popped off and said something, it was actually about me, and now I'm the one paying for it. So maybe just the awkwardness of all the guilt and I better not talk too fast. It's like, don't stick your foot in your mouth. Slow down. You know, maybe that's why he didn't want Absalom to see him right away. And no matter what's going on, there's there's a lot of things that's uncomfortable about the situation with Absalom. It's weighing on him. Maybe he's got a little, him a little scared. Maybe he's just being cautious. You ever been between a rock and a hard place? I think David is there. But when it came right down to it, let's say something was approaching. You knew you had to do it. And right when it hit, you just weren't ready. It's like the first time I went on the high dive when I was a kid. I thought, oh, I could do that. But when you climb up the ladder, it like looks like it's like 10 miles down. And I walked to the edge of the board and I stopped and I wanted to back up. And the kids at the bottom of the ladder, they're like, oh, no, no, no. You climbed up. Now you got to jump. You can't come back down or you're a coward, you know. And, and I'm, oh, man, now I got them pressuring me. Well, that jump's coming. I'm up there. The whole pool's watching. And I walked up to it three or four times, and finally the kid goes, are you going to jump, or I got to come up there and push you off? You know, it's <laughs> something like that. So I, I eventually it's coming. But how do you deal with it? It's awkward. I don't know what to do. I can relate to David being in this spot. Second Samuel 14, 25. Now in all Israel, there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And when he cut the hair of his head at the end of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him. When he cut it, he weighed the hair of his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. To Absalom were born three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar. She was a woman of beautiful appearance. So basically, Absalom was the hottest guy in the entire nation. I mean, he was the hunk. He was the celebrity guy. Uh, every girl wanted him. Every guy wanted to be him. He, I mean, he was it. And, you know, and just for a visual aid to help you understand what he might have looked like, just imagine me with long hair. And that's probably about what Absalom looked like. So that's probably how that went. But I, I stop laughing. I'm just trying, Lord, I'm just trying to help people understand your word better. And I'm even using myself as a sacrifice to help make that happen. So stop laughing. Let's, this is the word of God. Get serious. Anyway. <clears throat> okay. We done laughing yet. Uh, can, can I move along? All right. Just doing my job, Lord. Anyway. Oh, goodness. 
Forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do. Thank you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.